Hi, you're listening to the Talking Tough podcast, brought to you by Dr. Martins and hosted by me, Georgia Moot, a model and a presenter from London. Over the past year, we've had to be tougher than ever. So we're back again to discuss stories of resilience with our guests, covering important topics such as the politics of gender and Black Lives Matter. We explore how our guests have got through tumultuous times. Hope you enjoy. So today on Talking Tough, we are joined by Charlie Cox. Charlie is an award-winning poet, writer and mental health advocate. She talks openly and honestly about mental health and as an ambassador for mental health research charity MQ, Charlie is helping to open up the conversation and squash stigma. Charlie's received a ton of recognition for her work, with her published poetry collection entitled She Must Be Mad, nabbing the top spot as best-selling poetry debut of 2018 and most recently being featured on Forbes 30 Under 30 list. So, Charlie, welcome to Talking Tough. I would like you to come on first dates with me. Just sit there and go, today you're having a drink with, and then just read it all off. So I look much better than I actually am. Um, (laughs) Thanks. That was such a lovely introduction. Um, So how are you? How have you been? Yeah, do you know what? I, I feel as though it's closing time on closing time now I'm 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 ready for some real world interaction I I've been quite lucky with lockdown um it, I mean absolutely in comparison to an awful lot of people but I really needed to recheck my daily routine and how fast I was constantly moving and suddenly being able to work from home and having a bit of still and calm oh, I, f- I feel as though I've sort of like taken my brain out, given it a bit of a scrub and now put it back in. Um, so I wanted to firstly start out by asking about your uh, kind of background in mental health. And I wanted to ask how and why did you get into the mental health space? Um, by large, not by choice. Um, I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder, PTSD, anxiety, and depression, uh, the sexiest shopping list of them all, um, when I was 17. And there was just nothing available for me that didn't look like the rest of my life was gonna be utterly harrowing. Um, And I'd spoken to a couple of friends about it. Like, guys, I can't be, I mean, statistically, I know I'm not the only one going through this. So why is there nothing available for me to not just feel better, but but feel normal, you know, feel part of a statistic that is still living a healthy, relatively content life. So I started to to share my mad, sad brain online. And I was totally um, overawed by the response that it got. And it's from there, really, I guess, it's like, oh, this is really important because now I'm not so frightened of myself. Um, And as things have got a bit more shinier and a bit more, um, a bit bit more jazzy, uh, I find it's even more important now to prove that just because 
I have a mental illness or just because someone has a mental illness doesn't mean you can't succeed and thrive. Yeah, I think it's really important what you said there about the isolation, especially as the conversation around uh, mental illness has not always been a super broad one um, or like a super public one, maybe. It's kind Mm. of hard to then growing up see people around you know it's not always something people shout about so (laughs) it's kind of hard it's really it's really frustrating first of all that there are no other words other than it's really mad it's really crazy it's so insane it's insane yeah when you're talking about this there's literally no other vocabulary but it is so mad to me that there is still very much a hierarchy on what we deem as an acceptable mental illness to talk about um, you know, now we're very au fait talking about depression and anxiety. Pre that, I think PTSD was something that was very much in the conversation, but we reserved for people um, that were ex-military. And so we, we kind of understood what that meant. But now, you know, whilst we're doing such a fab job at destigmatizing things like depression and anxiety, things like bipolar and schizophrenia are still said under such hushed tones and they're still really reserved for you know the dregs of society and it's and it's really not the case um really not the case and it's also so important that the the lesser accepted versions of mental illness are spoken about because they're the ones that are massively underfunded in research and, and ones we don't we don't understand i don't know why i have bipolar like what that's ridiculous. How do we not know that? Like our brains are so important. They're the most important part of our body. And we, we, we don't know anything about it. There's definitely a hierarchy within uh, mental illness. And um, on a personal note, because uh, my mum also has bipolar. So I definitely saw that struggle growing up. And she was going to the doctor asking for help, but they were like, oh, but you're functioning and you have a family and you go to an exercise class. So you can't have whatever. And that just shows how the stigmas within healthcare. It's so, first of all, it's so wonderful hearing you say that about your mum because it's something that's still always in the back of my mind like I'm I can't wait to be a mum I can't wait to have a family and have kids that you you don't see that you don't see that in media you don't see that in literature you don't see women um having like loving supporting families and thriving and keeping down a job and being able to put dinner on the table when they have a mental illness um and I I've been exactly the same I had a very similar experience to your mum where first of all every doctor I saw when I was 15 just told me I was hormonal um, and that it was normal teenage girl stuff and you know go and buy a Tampax and a paracetamol and some chocolate and stop crushing on boys four years older than you and I was like no but I really don't think there's something right and then as I got older every um, every doctor's note every paper started with she presents herself neatly and confidently. I was like, what? So because I've put on a jacket and a shirt to come to quite an expensive, scary doctor's meeting, I can't be unwell. What? It's, it's so unbelievably unfair when you really look at the facts within it. And as a woman um, and with marginalized groups, we are the people that research doesn't cover. You know, everything that we are currently presented at the doctors has been based on studying white men. 
for the last 200 years, even like the, the drugs that I take, they haven't really done any trials on women. So they don't know if my hormones might affect how effective they are, or they don't know. Um, they don't know. They don't know because they haven't tested it on us. It's, it's endlessly upsetting and frustrating to know that, you know, we're not talking about something really, really niche. We're not talking about something super, super rare. Hundreds of thousands of people experience um, mental illness and ill mental health on a daily basis. And we don't know enough about it. I just, I can't get my head around it. It doesn't make any sense to me. So was was your education on the topic, did that spring from this frustration and kind of fear of uh, not seeing anyone around you? Yeah. And, the, you know, I was sort of, I marched myself into a room, having begged to be in many other rooms that, you know, I wasn't deemed unwell enough for. Um, money talks. Uh, and I went and saw someone who was fair, like a very high up um psychologist which was and I look back on this now and what an absolute privilege I managed to find friends who had parents who could afford to do that for me you know I could never have done that for myself um and I feel internally and eternally indebted and grateful to them but also really miserable that it had to come to that and it it makes me realize so much how much worse it could have been if I wasn't so fortunate um, but you know, even then I got given a name, I left, that was it. It was okay. You've got this. Um, you are 20 times more likely to die by suicide than everyone else. Uh, your average life expectancy is cut down by 25, 30 years. Um, by the way, if you get pregnant, uh, you should really like let people know about that because you're probably going to experience psychosis and you might hate your baby. Um, we don't know where it's come from, but it could be your mum. Uh, <laughs> you're like, okay, uh, or, uh, um, yeah, just, just writing this all down. And then you get a little bit of paper that sort of, you know, shows a picture of someone holding their head wearily, um, like stock images of women eating salad. And you're like, oh, all right, um, what do I do now? And the only thing that I could do was to read as much as I could about other people's experiences, particularly women, other women's experiences, whether that was through, I mean, I grabbed at everything, trying to find language that I might understand that might give me a semblance of hope of knowing why I am the way I am and how to give myself the best possible chance at not being part of the statistic that doesn't make it. Yeah, I mean, the thing, especially with the diagnosis process, I guess, or just uh, facing any uh, mental illness or just in the process of trying to figure it out, it can all be very clinical. And yeah. when in actuality, it's a very emotion based uh, process. And it's sometimes all you want is someone to like give you a cup of tea, give you a little hug and go, oh, it's all right, don't worry you you want exactly that you want someone to be like it's fine and then you also sometimes want them to go it's really shit what you're going through is really hard it's really really tough 
Yeah, that affirmation that what you're experiencing isn't your inability to get through life. It's it's something that is clinically, chemically wrong with you. It's true. It's like you said, it's the importance of understanding that life can be really shit and really hard and that that is okay. So I wanted to ask about uh, the the process of learning to manage your illness and learn to kind of live the day-to-day with your diagnoses. I think when I started writing how I was feeling down, suddenly having this tangible proof that what was in my head that really felt as though it was Remy the Rat from Ratatouille, you know, pulling my hair, getting me to run around and and be very self-destructive. Writing that down so it was real and seeing that made me made me have a much greater sense of empathy for myself because when you give stuff like that time, you know, I'd write something and then I'd read back on it a couple of weeks later and think, wow, that that in its hard, cold truth, if someone else were to say that to me, I would be devastated that I knew they were feeling that or going through that. And yet even though I've been unbearably unkind to myself during that period, I still got through it. So what would it be like if I was a bit kinder to myself? What would it be like if I was a bit more forgiving, a bit softer? Um, if If I allowed myself to treat myself as though I was a child? And I come back to that a lot in my head where if if I'm really beating myself up about how I'm feeling or my inability to do something to the level that I want to, I think of it, I think of it as a separate thing. So it's this crying child screaming at me saying, I just need to sleep or actually I just need some proper food that isn't baked beans on penne pasta out of the pan. I actually really need to wash. And when I narrow it down to really basic needs, suddenly it gets a little bit easier to understand. Uh, And if I've done all of those things, then I go, okay, well, you're doing everything you can. Let's try and call a doctor. And if I haven't, Okay. Okay. That's because you're a person. Probably don't feel great because you're a human being and you're not looking after yourself. And that's where I think the conversation between and the differentiation between mental health and mental illness is so crucial. I mean, I, everyone has mental health, not everyone has a mental illness. And I, I know my mental health is pretty top quality stuff. Like I could sell, I could sell my mental health for some good money if I really needed to on the black market but I still live with mental illness and that makes things difficult I completely agree uh and I'm also like a big believer in like you can do everything within your power to like you said get your mental wellness to a place where it's like amazing or you know you can do everything that you're told to do or that is quote-unquote right to do and that should quote-unquote make you feel better but it's not always going to and it's like you said that's really the moments where you kind of have to practice uh so like a bit of empathy to yourself and just go yeah it's probably because I'm a bit unwell actually and there's quite a few people who are also unwell and that's fine and there's a lot of days you know <laughs> today's not today's not one so of them so many days You 
said earlier about how you uh, would write stuff down and then that would kind of uh, help you look at it as something that's tangible. And I I think when stuff is written down or even said out loud and then you it, it gives you that ability to gain some perspective because you can come back to it later. Um, but when you're so kind of in it, when you're so identifying with your illness, it's so hard to see the wood for the trees. I personally find talking about mental health and mental illnesses quite overwhelming, quite quite scrambling. And I sometimes find it quite tricky to get the words to articulate uh, what I mean or how I'm feeling, especially in the moment. Um, how do you do it so well? Oh, thanks. Poetry, I bang on about this all the time and it's, it's because it's true and I want to gift this power to anyone and everyone that wants it or needs it is there is something so wonderful about poetry where it doesn't have to be perfect it's supposed to be messy it's supposed to be a bit abstract and the the best poetry that you read and often the poetry that you relate to to the most is the most unflinchingly honest and that's really being dragged out of your body screaming and and that doesn't come from perfect articulation. It doesn't come from full-bodied understanding. That comes just purely from feeling and giving yourself that, the kindness to have hindsight so you can later have foresight is, is the best gift ever. And that, I guess, is, is where I fell so, well, fell, I ran shouting loudly into poetry um, because it is such a a lovely form of expression that doesn't 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 feel so frightening and doesn't feel so aggressive um, you know when everything is aggressive in your head you kind of just want a bit of calm on the outside and it just became such like a wonderfully meditative experience I've, I've been doing it for many hundreds of years now um, in my 25 years of age. I've probably been doing it since I was about four, uh, <laughs> 21 years. And it's, it's never not been there for me. And it's also never not given me a new lease of life or a new, a new lease of understanding. How did you hone your poetry from like when you were a teenager experiencing all these things into now like writing a book? I... Well, do you know, it's funny because when um, when I pitched She Must Be Mad, that really wasn't what it was supposed to be. I was I really wanted to write a novel and I had been courting this agent, um, Abby, for a year and a half. He was very patient with me and I was like, right, I'm going to write this novel. It's going to be about this, da, 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 da. And every time in a year and a half we came back to it, it just, something wasn't fitting and... One day we were sat in this coffee shop and she said, Charlie, I think you need to own the fact that you want to be a poet. And she said, I think you should pitch a poetry book. Uh, and that really excited me. It made me really scared, but it really excited me because suddenly I was like, oh, I've got thousands of these. And I just went back through all of my teenage diaries and, all of like old Word documents on old laptops, old blogspot drafts, um, emails, any, anything that I could get my hands on, I went through it. And it's a bit like what I was saying earlier about, you know, the best poetry is the most unflinchingly 
honest and there is no one more honest about matters of the heart than a teenager there's no there's no one so dramatic uh, and so truthful about what you're going through um never never try and write in a particular style or I never try and write with a particular person in mind other than my sanity and and I think that is the best way to do anything creative is to not be conscious of the end product but to be constantly checking in with how the process is making you feel and my god when I've been on deadlines and um, I now do a little bit of commission work it's not easy you know there are times when I have to write poems to a deadline or with a certain constraint and it's like banging your head on the table going what is this what am I doing this is so difficult but even in those bits where it's like god this is so hard I'm learning so much about what parts of that I enjoy and that's really valuable and also you always finish it you always get it done and you always really love it at the end because you know how how much you worked at it there's there's always the the best kind of satisfaction like you said in the process of writing it's not about who is reading it or the end product but I can only imagine then to put out a book and to have people go oh yes this is how I feel or you put this into words and I've been really struggling to do that must also just feel really um really affirming um because again it's less you also then don't feel isolated in your experience yeah, and it's also just really weird. Like I, it it makes it makes little to no sense to me, um, other than what I continuously learn with this very bizarre Dickensian sounding job is that the most personal is ultimately the most universal, and that makes me feel a lot better about everything. Really, everything that I go through makes me feel a hell of a lot better than knowing it's happened before and it will happen again and so on so on continuum what would you say we need to continue doing going forward to support um young especially young people but people in general struggling um after this year i think really proper full conversation about what we mean by mental health and what we mean by mental illness and and not conflating the two um but empowering them both enough to be understood and I think that's that's the basis of any positive change is understanding um and that that's what we really need you know whether that is parents who don't have fab relationships with their kids, uh, maybe seeking some therapy, probably a good place to start. Uh, Obviously therapy is an extreme privilege and no doubt will be exacerbated um, by, the wait list will be exacerbated by what's happened this year. But you know, then also where we don't have understanding, we also don't seem to have any money. So those two things really need to change at the same speed. We need more money and research, which is why I believe so passionately in MQ. In on on a very basic level, it's you know it doesn't sound as sexy as saying 
kindness and kisses and bubble baths and wine, but we need proper, proper understanding and we need proper, proper, proper money going not into crisis care, but into prevention. Um, you touched there on um, the charity that you're an ambassador for, MQ. Would you mind explaining a bit more about what they do and um, what their role would be within something like this year and supporting people? MQ are the most phenomenal people I've ever met. I thought that well before I was an ambassador. I think it even more so now I get to have a proper look into what it is that they do and what it is they're achieving. So they fund research projects. MQ came along five years ago to say, hey, um, instead of putting a silly number into just, you know, crisis care and also you know sort of like flittering it away in little places why don't we try and give the people that go through this a level of dignity and and try and give them something that makes them understand why they have what they have or give health professionals the tools and the language to talk about what it is they don't quite currently understand for every person in this country that experiences mental illness eight pounds per person goes towards research a year eight pounds it's it's insane (laughs) it's mental it's madness it's wrong (laughs) so i wanted to ask um what does tough mean to you resilient tough for me is resilience and within that strength and there is nothing stronger in my opinion than softness and finally what tough topics do you think need to continue to be discussed I think we are in the same way that we're only just putting our heads out of the water properly and honestly talking about mental health and mental illness we're also only just starting that with race and racism and I really don't want people to think that just because it's a year on since the hashtag and a year on since black squares and and having honest and frank conversations and and reading and doing the work that that suddenly ends that is a lifetime of understanding and doing the work it's not about performance Um, And I think that goes across absolutely everything that we have learned in the last year is it's going to take us a hell of a lot longer than a year, another year to continue a conversation that should have been being had well before our lifetimes. It's a continuous process and the conversations need to be continuous and we need to need to be brutally brutally honest about what it is that needs to be unlearned um so would you mind telling everyone where they can find you and if you have anything fun coming up you can find me at charlie cox one that's charlie with a y cox with an x one as in the number because i locked myself out of my other account (laughs) um do i have anything fun coming up I do, and I get to be the 
asshole that says, I can't tell you yet. Um, I've got something very exciting happening this summer. So unbearably exciting that the fact that I can't say what it is is really painful. But this summer, it's it's going to be a big one. Oh, I can't wait. I'm really excited. I'm on the edge of my seat. I mean, I'm sat on the floor, so I'm not, but <laughs> metaphorically on the edge of my seat. There you go. Poet. <laughs> um, thank you so much for this, Charlie. Thank you for joining us and for being so uh, yeah, vulnerable and honest. Oh, Georgia, um, thank you. Thank you for creating such a, a safe a safe environment and, and one that's really pushed my brain in to think think in different ways.